It's really great when people come together to grow in Jesus, and especially when that involves opening up the Bible together. And, um, but we have found through feedback and through experience of people coming together to read the Bible um, that people always find it easier to read the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And in the New Testament, you find lots of things about Jesus and how great he is, and that's super encouraging. But there's two-thirds of the Bible, the first bit, that is called the Old Testament. And we always find that folks find it quite hard to get to grips with the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the Bible, if you've studied the Bible before, you might have some sense that the Old Testament is about Jesus. But you might not really know how. Well, you need to meet my friend. <laughs> That's why I'm bringing this up. Now, this, uh, you might think this is a bike. You might look at it and think it looks to me like a lot of bikes that I've seen. But you might notice a difference about this bike. Some of you might have one in your home. Uh, this doesn't have pedals. This bike doesn't have a chain. This bike doesn't have brakes. Because this bike is a balanced bike. And a balanced bike is what you give to a child before they can ride a bike. And instead of putting them on a normal bike, where you've got to manage balancing, and pedalling, and steering, and braking, it's a lot to take in. And sometimes it's just overwhelming. So you put them on a balanced bike with the idea that if they spend time on a balanced bike, if they spend time getting to getting used to the idea of a bike, getting, spending time getting their bearings, getting the balance right, then when you do put them on a real bike eventually, well, it'll make far more sense to them and they'll be able to embrace how fun a real bike is. Well, um, the Old Testament is full of balanced bikes. <coughs> full of balanced bikes of Jesus. The Old Testament is full of pictures and people who, if you spend time with them, um, like a balanced bike, you'll get to know a lot of the Bible ideas that will prepare you for Jesus. If you spend time looking at certain people and ideas in the Old Testament, you'll really get to grips with what God is doing in the world, so that when you come to meet Jesus in the New Testament, He'll make so much more sense. And so for this reason, alongside the sermon series that we've been doing so far in September, which is on Colossians, um, and we're running Colossians, we're still doing that between now and Christmas, but we're going to intersperse a new sermon series in, starting today, and that's what I'm introducing now, um, a new sermon series, where there's only going to be three um, sermons in it, one this month, one next month, and the one after. And in that sermon series, we're going to be looking at somebody in the Old Testament who is a pattern of Jesus, a pattern of the one to come. And we're going to spend some time thinking about the pattern. We're going to spend some time on the balance bike, learning what it's teaching us about Jesus, about God, about us. And we're going to see a bigger, deeper, fuller picture of Jesus. And we'll see that he's be even better than we ever thought him before. So today we're going to start that series by looking at Adam and how he is a pattern of the one to come. And we're going to find that Jesus is the true and the better Adam. That's what our reading is going to be all about. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Anna, who's going to um, read the Bible to us. She'll tell you where to find it and how to get hold of that passage. So um, I invite Anna to come up and do uh, the reading. Thank you. 
chapter 5, verses 12 to 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Thanks so much, Anna. Um, you might want to keep that passage open in front of you. We'll return to it a bit later on in this talk. Um, I'm going to be going to a few different places, but when we come to that passage, it'll really open up um, what I'm saying. So you definitely want to keep a finger in that. Um, there might, I don't know if there are still any spare um, transcripts or written copies of this sermon in um, a different language, um, but if, if, there, if you want one in Farsi, there might be uh, one spare. Um, and there will be an English copy of this put on um, the website uh, at a later date, but it's not available right now. We're going to come um, and to the Bible, we're going to think about what it means that Jesus is a true and better Adam. Um, and I'd like to pray for God's help as we think about that and as I speak. So we're going to pray to begin. Dear Father, we um, pray that you'd open our eyes now to be able to see Jesus. Lord, as we look at Adam, we pray that you'd help us see Jesus. We pray that you'd help us see Jesus in all his glory, as you've painted him throughout the Bible. Help us to see just how wonderful he is and help us to be prepared to orient our lives around Jesus as a result of what we hear today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now in our house, uh, you would hear, if you came to visit our house just for a little while, you'd hear lots of songs from Frozen 2 and Moana. Some of you might have seen these, um, but don't worry if you haven't seen these two films. Um, because I'll explain why I'm referencing them. In these two um, quite 
high-profile Disney blockbuster films. There's a, a similarity between them, and it's probably a similarity they have with lots of other films too. And it's that the main character hears some sort of voice, or has some sort of sense of something calling them. Something calling them out of their dull world that they're in right now. The place where they feel deep down it's just not where they're supposed to be. And something calling them, perhaps out into the unknown, perhaps something calling them above and beyond the horizon, but out somewhere where they know they will be able to fulfil their destiny. It's the, the voice calling them to, to step into who they really are. Now I guess this idea features so prominently in two mainstream blockbuster Disney films because I guess the filmmakers must have picked up that something like this is happening in the lives of people around them as well. That there's a sense that fulfilment is out there somewhere. That children who watch these films must have be learning that um, they can become and step into somebody who they are destined to be. Somebody who will who will really truly flourish and thrive and be the them who they are meant to be. And they do encourage that at schools. Children are told to follow who they're becoming, to, to kind of follow themselves, to follow that voice inside and become what truly makes them them. Now, if you're um, in your 30s or 40s or 50s, I'm sure you don't really feel that you get that same message. I don't know anybody um, who's in that kind of stage of life who's told to go out and find your destiny. But I think that idea is still there for those of us who are beyond that generation. That idea is still there when we find the world around us gives us permission for not having, for feeling grumpy, for not having done that. When we're validated for feeling dissatisfied that we haven't really thrived and grown into the me who I was really meant to be. And that shows that deep down, we do all buy into this idea that we should step into who we really are. The fulfillment is being who we really are, who we are made to be. And we're all pursuing that. The good news is the Bible doesn't leave us guessing. The Bible says that we all flourish and thrive and step into who we really are when we um, are being human. So the Bible includes the story of where humanity came from and what being human truly is. So to find fulfillment and start off on the journey to step into who we were made to be, we need to start with the story of humanity. Start at the beginning of the story of humanity with the first ever person, the story of Adam. Let me read to you, and this will be on the screen if, you, um, if, you don't, if you're not able to turn to it, so you can follow along on the screen or on your, on your own Bible. But let me read to you the beginning of the human story. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Adam, the first human, was made in the image of God. Being human, stepping into who you truly are, 
Being yourself who can thrive and flourish in the world, that is being human, and that is bearing God's image. If you want to be truly who you are, step into being an image bearer of God. Now, over the centuries, lots of different people have wondered and scratched their heads about what it really means to bear God's image. But um, I think it must mean at least generally two things. Firstly, humans are created at least to reflect something of God, right? If I were to draw an image, and um, perhaps an image of Sam with my felt tips and a piece of paper, it should at least bear some resemblance to what it's meant to be an image of. If I were to have an image of something on my phone and show you an image of my family or my children or my car or my phone, at least that image has got to bear some resemblance to what it's an image of. So that means we are truly who we are when we are resembling what God is like in some way. So being in God's image means we turn our eyes to God and make our character and our habits more and more like him. To resemble God in his love, in his faithfulness, in his care, in his goodness, and so on. And of course, being an image, that means that there is a difference too. There is a difference between an image of Sam and Sam himself. There's an image of, there's a difference between the image of my car on my phone and my car itself. And so there is a difference between us and God. We are not all powerful, we're not eternal, we're not all knowing. And so to be true to our humanity, we've got to respect that difference too. Being human, being an image bearer, means that we don't try to be like God in ways that aren't for us. And that leads us into the second thing that bearing God's image must mean. Bearing God's image must mean <clears throat> that we are subject to the one whose image we bear, without trying to take his place. Um, I've been watching lots of programmes on TV about the Queen lately, as we all probably have, because for 10 days or so there was nothing else on TV. Um, and it's really interesting, some of the programmes that reflect on the life of the Queen have featured lots of older people who speak about what the Queen means to them, but there's also been some younger people who probably don't really have much, um, many reflections on the Queen. So some of their big questions have been, what's going to happen to the money? What's going to happen to my stamps and my money? Because our money has an image on it, and our stamps have an image on, on it. And the fact that the money bears the image of the monarch is an indication that there is some ruler over us. Where the image is shown points us to the fact that there's a ruler over us. And if we bear God's image, that points to the fact that there is a ruler over us whose image we bear. It points us to the fact that God is the creator and we are the creation. So being truly human, stepping into what it means to be really you, means being under God, listening to him, taking what he says as being true, and obeying him. So the job of Adam was to be human, to listen to God, and to obey him, and to take his word as truth, and to live under his rule. And that is the place of true humanity, the place where he was going to be fulfilled. And so you can probably see the problem with our dissatisfaction right now. Because any life that is set up to ignore God's voice and his rule, any life which doesn't perfectly reflect what God is like, his character and his goodness, well, any life like that's not just a little bit rebellious. A life like that is dehumanising. Now, we've, we use the word dehumanised in the English language often to refer to when somebody's treated not like a human should be. So 
and perhaps if people of one nationality or ethnic group are given privileges, but people from other nationalities are mistreated or made to live in bad conditions or denied their rights. We might say they're getting treated like animals, treated less than human. But being dehumanised in that way doesn't mean that they have become less than human. It just means they're treated less than human. But actually, living outside of what it means to bear God's image, to live in such a way that puts God out of the picture and live by our own rules, living without, uh, living a life without our eyes fixed on God and no intention in our lives to reflect his goodness and his character, well, that is actually becoming something less than human, something less than we're made to be. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from slightly further on in Adam's story. I'm going to read the bit where Adam became dehumanised. That might be a little small on the screen. You can read it in Genesis chapter 3 if you wanted to, um, but it's there on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read it. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who is with her, and he ate it. So for Adam to be truly human would have been to recognise his place under God and not try to be God. To recognise that he's an image bearer, not God himself. But here, there was a possibility to reach out his hands so that he could try to be like God himself. He wanted equality with God, a very unhuman thing to want. And he reached out his hand to grasp it and take hold of it, breaking what it means for him to be human. And when he took that fruit, he, he was doing something, he was saying something that actually we probably would recognise as something that we've all felt at some point. He was saying, I don't want you to tell me what's good and bad, God. I want I want to figure that out for myself, thank you very much. He thought it was more humanising to step out from that under that rule. In fact, that was doing the very opposite of what an image bearer should do. He was doing something very unhuman. And from then on, every human being has been dehumanised in that same way. He's trying to step out of what it means to be human. Because we all follow Adam in those same footsteps. Um, about 12 years ago, I think, um, in about 2010, I think it was 2010, there was um, a lot of heavy snowfall in Liverpool. I remember it because in Liverpool we don't get much heavy snow. Um, so it's quite rare that you get snow that stops the entire city. But I remember um, in 2010, there was a lot of heavy snow. And I lived near Sefton Park. And there's a road that goes all the way around Sefton Park. And I used to drive it every day. Now there's one, it's quite a wide road, so it's not bad to drive on. And there's one bend in the road where I had to think of the car users are a bit lazy, and I'm a bit stickler. Because they, when they turn around the bend, they just veer into the other lane a little bit. Because it's wide, and you feel like, I'm probably probably going all the way around the outside. And they just kind of cut the corner a little bit. That, I mean, you might have seen that happen somewhere else in Liverpool. People cut the corner. Well, 
When it was snowy, there was a problem. Because a lot of the cars had gone that way and they'd, they'd cut the corner a little bit. And you could see the tracks in the snow where they had gone and cut the corner. But the problem for me was that as a driver who wanted to do the right thing, it would have been dangerous for me to go out into the new snow and go the way I thought I should have gone. I had no choice but to follow in the tracks that veered over the line into the other lane. I had no choice but to follow those who had gone before me, even if it meant veering into the wrong path. Even if it meant doing the wrong thing, I had no choice. And in the same way, Adam has carved out this track in the snow that doesn't shine God's image brightly. It doesn't reflect what God is truly like. But since Adam, we've all had to follow that track in the snow that, that trespasses over the line into the other lane. We've all followed Adam. And the Bible said that, not the Bible, we sometimes describe that as saying God's image is marred in Adam. It's still there. But it's not clear, it's not as it should be. And so, in us, all of us who follow him on that path in the snow, trespassing over the line, well, in us, the image of God is marred. But the consequence of that is in the passage that we had read for us. You might still have that open in Romans chapter 5. It says in that passage, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Sin entered the world through one man. The consequence of veering into that other lane, of stepping out of being human, the consequence of following Adam is sin and death through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Death reigned from the time of Adam. Death reigns. Because we all follow Adam, then death reigns. If you are descended from Adam, humanly speaking, which I guess we all are, because we're all human beings, well, death reigns. Your default position is as a dehumanised human, a marred image of God, following Adam on that crooked path that trespasses over the line and leads right to death. Death reigns, and death really does have a reign, doesn't it? It's not something that we can refuse. It's not something we can break out of. Death is something that we all have no choice but to submit to. That's what a reign is. That's a rule. And most of us this week will have watched a funeral, probably. And watching a funeral always reminds us that one day we're going to have one too. Someday it's going to be me in that box. Because death reigns over me. There's nobody who can stand up to death and say, no, not me. No, you don't rule over me. Nobody can look death in the face and say, you can't do this. Nobody, nobody can disobey death's commands. When it's time to die, you die. But Adam was never meant to have the final say on humanity's destiny. There's a wonderful line in that passage in verse 14. It says, Adam, a pattern of the one to come. We fail at being human, but there was always going to be a true human being. See, God intervened in Adam's story, and he sent somebody who would walk Adam's pattern, but tread a new path. See, the first human, Adam, was tempted in the garden, and he decided, in the passage that we read from about the, the fruit and the snake, he decided in the garden that, that equality with God was something to be grasped. And he forged a path of dehumanising self-exaltation 
that leads everybody who follows him into death. But there was a true human who was to come in. A true human who was sent into the world, who was also tempted in a garden like Adam. But he decided that equality with God was something not to be seized to his own advantage. But he forged a path of God-imaging, self-sacrifice, taking the very nature of a servant. And being truly human, he humbled himself and he submitted to the reign of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was in very nature God, but he followed the human being's pattern. And yet he fulfilled it. He succeeded everywhere that Adam failed. Jesus was truly human all the time. Jesus only ever displayed God's character in his words and his life. In fact, we read last week in the book of Colossians that Jesus is the image of God. He's the only one who is the true image of the invisible God. Just as Adam was a pattern, as an image bearer, well, Jesus is the true image. He's no longer the pattern, he is the one, the image of God. And he even walked Adam's path to meet death. But where there was no sin in Jesus, then death couldn't reign. And so Jesus, three days after dying, broke out of the tomb to forge a new path and a new destiny for anyone who will follow him, a destiny that conquers death and puts that out of the picture. This is what it said in the passage that was read. Again, it's a long passage, a long section on the screen, but this is a brilliant thing, and this is why we love Jesus. But the gift is not like the trespass, the trespassing into the wrong lane and following Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of Jesus be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We get to, to ride the wave of the other Adam, the true and better Adam. We're not born into Jesus. According to this passage, there's a gift that you have to receive. Uh, that's not a hard thing. It is receiving the grace of God. And all that means is believing him. Believing him and trusting in Jesus. And that's it. Then you've, then you've accepted the gift. And if you've done that, it puts you on a completely different track. Just trusting in Jesus, that's all means that you receive a gift that moves you off the track of Adam that leads to death and puts us on a track of the true and better human. Jesus who looked death in the face and said, you don't rule me and you won't rule those who come after me. Death does not reign in Jesus. Now all of us have bodies that will die, bodies that we inherited from Adam, and they will one day be put into the grave. We still bear a bit of Adam's image. We take after him. We still have weakness and sin. That means we do have a propensity to live in a way that doesn't image God, but at the same time we know that that's not the final say. That's not what rules us. That's not who we truly are. Deep down, that's who we're not meant to be. Deep down, we are looking to a resurrection. We were looking at our morning services um, in other weeks in the book of Colossians, and last week in the book of Colossians, it also said this about Jesus. 
that he's the firstborn from among the dead. The Bible says there's going to be a day when everybody who's submitted to death's reign will be raised again. One day called the resurrection day. But you know that's already begun. The morning of that day has dawned. Because the first person has been raised from the dead. Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, has kick-started that. And so we will ride that wave one day. Death is not the end for us. Death doesn't reign in our lives. And that means for you, if you're a Christian, there's something really, really wonderful that we'll also come to find in the book of Colossians in a few weeks' time. So do stay tuned, keep on coming, come back. Because in Colossians chapter 3, it says those of us who have accepted the gift of grace in Jesus, who are raised with him, well, it says about us that we get our humanness renewed. In a, a little bit further on in Colossians chapter 3, it says if you're raised with Jesus, if you are somebody who's moved off Adam's swerving path and been put onto Jesus' path, you'll be raised with him. And so it says there, just live as if that's true. So put off Adamly ways of living. It says earthly ways. Put off Adamly ways of dehumanising ourselves. And it says, step into Jesus and you shall put on the new self being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. That there's a promise to everyone who follows Jesus, not just that you'll escape death. It's not just that we worship Jesus because he's a new Adam that doesn't lead to death. We worship Jesus because he's a new Adam who brings a fresh and a new in us the image of God. Where Adam failed in being truly human, Jesus passes on to us renewal in the image of God. I love that. I think that's a really wonderful thing. I don't think we think about that a great deal as Christians. We often think of things that we should do as a Christian that will help us to grow. Um, uh, good things like meeting other Christians, gospel friendships, reading the Bible. We often say they are things that are like spiritual disciplines. We might talk about wanting to live a life of holiness. They're great things to do, great things to pursue. But to be honest, when I'm having an off day, living a life of holiness Sounds like a boring thing to do. But we don't tend to use the language of saying, by following Jesus, you're becoming who you're meant to be. You are being transformed into being truly human. And I want to leave you with that today as one of the great and wonderful things that encourages us about the fact that Jesus is the true and better Adam. That because he's the true and better Adam, you get to be a true and better human. By following him, your humanity in you is, is renewed. Renewed day by day by his Holy Spirit in his image to look more like him. So I want to encourage you today to think of living the Christian life like that. Whether even if you're not a Christian, that is what's on offer. Not just some abstract thought of... Um, you, know, you get to avoid some penalty that you didn't even know you had to have, but rather you get to be fulfilled and made into true who you truly are. So I'm not going to give you a list of things to go away and do differently, a list of things you need to improve on in your life. I just want to say, from now on, think differently. From now on, think differently about who you are. You are a human being, and it's your job to be human, to image God. 
Without Jesus, that's not going to happen. But with Jesus, it really will. That leads you into who you're truly meant to be. So think of all those things in your life that you think are good things to do as a Christian. Think of all those good things in your life that you want to do as your habit of reading the Bible or encouraging other Christians or growing in kindness and goodness towards other people. Now think of those things as ways that you are being made to fulfill who you are. Those things are moving you away from a marred image in Adam, and by God's Holy Spirit, you're being renewed more and more into Jesus' image, the image you're created to be like. And that means as a Christian, if you are a Christian, you're, you're not being made into somebody who you're not. By taking God at his word, by saying no to sin and yes to selfless love and worship of God, you're becoming somebody who you are. You're becoming, you're stepping into the you you're created to be. You're becoming human. You have inherited the marred image of God from Adam, but more and more, because Jesus is the true and better Adam, you get to grow into the image of your creator, to be the human you were created to be.